Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak. is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I. IYO.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast. This is the podcast for brands who want to maximize growth and long-term profitability. So if you're in e-commerce or you're in retail or you've got a consumer product and you've got a big vision, this is the podcast for you. I'm Dylan Kelly, host of the podcast and founder and CEO of Wavebreak. We are a e-commerce agency focused exclusively on retention marketing and helping brands maximize long-term profitability using email and SMS marketing. As you guys may or may not know, the name of the game in 2021 is gonna be retention. Acquisition is getting more expensive, and what's crazy is that retention is extremely profitable. So a few reasons why you wanna pay attention to this. Number one, uh, studies from Bain & Company show that retention rates increasing by 5% can increase profit by 25 to 95%. Listen, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. Email is the best way to do it. SMS is the best way to do it, but you got to know how to do it and you got to do it in a smart way for 2021. If you need help doing that, partner with me and my team. You can learn more about us at wavebreak.com uh, or, and you can go, go ahead and schedule a call with me and my team there. Uh, we're really boutique agencies, so we're not trying to work with a ton of brands, but instead partner with a few select brands and really help them maximize revenue and profit from owned channels, which is incredibly important. You know, especially it's just like everything with Facebook is always up in the air nowadays. So uh, you know, even thinking like, you know, with the recent Apple thing, 
right? Uh, you know, small business could potentially be down 60% for every dollar they spend, getting less and less results because of the way the marketplace is playing out and because of changes that might be coming with the new iOS. And so what that means is no matter what happens with acquisition, you need to focus on retention for 2021. And, and if you need help doing that and you want the shortcuts that we have with the data that proves like here are the best ways to run things from an email and SMS perspective, if you want to retain as many customers as possible and maximize your long-term profitability, hit us up. Go to wavebreak.com to learn more. Anyway, really excited for today's episode. I'm joined by Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. They're best known for their unsweetened flavored water. Um, she went from a Diet Coke addiction to one of the largest companies in the space now. They're uh, one of the largest beverage companies in the world, uh, the largest beverage company in the world that's non-alcohol, not owned by Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper, Snapple, the company. They have a huge direct-to-consumer business despite being in consumer products and being in a bunch of stores around the globe. Uh, I'll let Kara talk about that, but really excited for this episode. Um, very fast-growing company and a really exciting business and an exciting story. A lot to learn if you have a big vision for your brand as well and how to keep up both on the you know marketing side, how to keep going when it's tough, as well as how to scale your operations as fast as the rest of your business. So without further ado, let's hop right into it. Kara, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to talk. I'm really excited for this episode. Excited to talk direct to consumer, excited to talk uh, just the food and beverage space. It's a space where I've had a lot of conversations in recently. Uh, but for the people who don't know you and they might not have, uh, they m- might not be familiar with Hint yet, uh, what's like the brief overview of yourself and of the brand? Yeah, so I'm Kara Golden. I'm the founder and CEO of Hint, and we're best known for our unsweetened flavored water. I have my Blackberry here um, that I'm drinking, but I started the company just over 15 years ago. I didn't have beverage experience. I was um, a tech executive. I ran AOL's e-commerce partnerships for seven years prior to having this crazy idea to start this beverage company. And um, prior to that, I, I started my career in media, at Time Magazine, and then at CNN. And I've, you know, more than anything, I've, I'm, I consider myself a lifelong learner that is on a journey to just really be happy and go and, you know, satisfy my curiosity and try and dig into puzzles, problems, however you want to see them. And as I said, I'm the founder of Hint. I started this out of a health problem that I saw that I was having shortly after I left AOL. And I had had, I have four kids now, but I had had three kids. I'd gained a ton of weight over the course of all these pregnancies and had also developed terrible adult acne. I had no energy. There's just like, it was like a perfect bomb, like had gone off where I didn't know how to solve it. And I had been an athlete growing up and was a gymnast and big runner. No matter what I did, nothing was, was sort of helping me to ultimately get healthy. And so I really dedicated my time after AOL and kind of was interviewing for tech jobs. I live in the Bay Area, but I I kept thinking, first of all, that I wanted to solve this problem and get the weight off and also just get healthier overall. But also I wanted to find something that 
was different and unique. And everybody kept branding me as this like tech executive. And while that was great, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with being a tech executive. And I had a great time doing it. I also felt like my learning curve was kind of flat, right? Like I, I just could do it in my sleep. And I really wasn't that excited every day to kind of get up and go and try something new because we had done so much in the seven years that I was at AOL. It literally went from just over zero to over a billion dollars in revenue. So when you're in a hockey stick kind of situation like that, and I know there's some of you out there that are listening, I think I wouldn't have been able to define what I wanted next. Everybody kept looking at me as saying, come do what you did over there. And I was like, I could do that, but I don't know if I really like, is that really going to do it for me every single day? And again, so while I'm thinking about what I was going to do, that's when I had this personal problem that I was really trying to solve. And one day I looked down, I'd been trying all these different diets. Again, I had three kids under the age of four. I mean, it was insanity in, in my life. And I was looking at lots of different foods that I was eating and counting calories and really trying to figure out what was in my food. And I was already working out and doing all that. And nothing was working. So I was just about to give up when one day I saw this diet soda, this Diet Coke can in particular, kind of staring at me in the face. And that's when I thought, huh, like everybody talks about food, but nobody really talks about the drinks. And I thought, well, this is diet. Again, I'm talking to myself about it because nobody else would like listen to me about this, but I'm like, I wonder if it's that. I mean, it's really kind of, I mean, again, you have to remember this is 16 years ago. So no one was thinking that there was anything wrong with diet soda. Very so, different world back then. I mean, even like five, 10 years ago, like, I mean, you just totally. think of like how seltzer has blown up and like all these different things. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so and so that was the world that I was living in. And just as a test, I thought I'm just going to put my Diet Coke to the side. You have to understand that I lived with this every single day. I mean, I joke that, you know, I, I might have actually loved my Diet Coke more than my husband. Like I, I would sit there and I mean, I was, you know, anywhere from six to 12 a day. I loved my Diet Coke. Of course, later on, people used to say when they came into meetings with me at AOL that they wouldn't actually go into a meeting with me if I didn't have a Diet Coke in front of me because it was just dis really disruptive and I couldn't focus. I mean, it was just, it was like this crutch, right? That I had. And, and I mean, to explain it to somebody who doesn't really understand this addiction to these diet sweeteners that exists is just, it seems so bizarre, but people who actually have that or who, who have had that totally get it. So anyway, put my diet soda to the side just as a test. Uh, it wasn't pretty for a couple of weeks. I mean, I had massive headaches. I felt really sick, sicker than I had ever felt because I was going through this big detox away from the diet sweeteners. And that's when about two weeks in, I woke up and I realized that I had lost a bunch of weight. I hadn't jumped on a scale. My skin had cleared up. Um, my energy levels had gone up and I hopped on the scale at that point and I had lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. Boom. Like I was wow. like cutting out a wow. zero calorie soda. Right. And so, well, at the time, so 15 years ago, diet drinks had 
like 10 calories. Right, That's like five as or 10 or something. Well, I think yeah, now they're they, just allowed was, to round down, right? <laughs> or how's it work? Well, possibly, but t- but the 10 calories was like the, that was, that was where it was at, but zero was like the Mecca. And so that's when, again, I had sort of seen in my own life that just by drinking water, cause I was super thirsty and just by drinking plain water, I was healed. Right. Like I was on, I really had this, this realization that I could do it. And it wasn't me. It was actually something that I was doing every single day that I wasn't conscious of. And so that's when I was living my life. Six months later, I'm, you know, losing more weight along the way, feeling really good. Again, this was the, this was the time when I'm going into my local Whole Foods. I'm I'm looking at all the things on the shelf. They didn't have Diet Coke on the shelves of Whole Foods, but they had this thing called vitamin water. I had friends who were drinking vitamin water, and I was like gosh, like, I wonder how many people actually know that vitamin water has as many calories as a full can of Coke. I mean, because it's vitamin and it's water. And so I guess the point is, is I was seeing all these healthy perception versus healthy reality things just kind of playing out in front of me. And I thought, it's really pretty sad how consumers are tricked into believing that things are healthier than they are. I certainly was. I never thought that the word diet could actually be anything but healthy. And so anyway, that that was like as far as I had gotten for the first year. And then ultimately, you know, I'm still looking for kind of the perfect tech role. And I had this epiphany one day where I thought, gosh, I wake up every single morning and I start thinking about this idea. And I wasn't even calling it a company. I was really calling it an idea on how to actually solve health issues in the world. And I had been hearing lots of different pieces, including a friend of mine worked and still works at the Center for Disease Control. She had talked to me about type 2 diabetes and how it was this new thing that they were starting to focus on that only 2% of the population had this thing called type 2 diabetes, um, different from type 1 that you're born with. People who had type 2 diabetes were adults. They weren't seeing any kids have it actually at the time, but they were drinking and eating diet. And the signs where they couldn't actually lose weight. They were, I mean, I, I now talk openly about the fact that I was probably type 2, I was probably pre- Diabetic. I think I got it before it actually got me. And today, 40 to 45% of the population has type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. So we continue to allow diseases like this to happen. We have some idea why this is happening. It's not, it doesn't just crop up. In the last, you know, 15 years and 20 years in particular, I, I mean, you look at the number of healthy perception drinks and you know food items that are in the market low fat all of these things it's just increased right and and so when i saw this opportunity in front of me and again it was it was this problem initially that i had solved for myself i thought gosh if i could actually go get a product launched on the shelf somewhere at some of these supermarkets that would be super cool like i bet i could actually change health in America, in the world. 
if I could actually get people away from drinking diet sodas and these healthy perception products that are just killing people, I, I think this, I think a product is the tool to help. So I never thought launching Hint was actually, I, I never thought about it as a beverage company. I thought about wh- how do I get there ultimately it, it, to solving this problem that I see around health. And, uh, and so I walked into my local Whole Foods in San Francisco and I said, hey, how do I get a product on the shelf? And just like you would as a consumer, I don't know. I was just like sort of wondering. And he uh, he's like, oh, have you, you know, have you ever worked at a food company or beverage? Nope. I'm nope. I haven't. How would how would I do it? And he's like, well, you know, Whole Foods has a, a tiny percentage of um, the products that we take in are local. So are you local? Yep, I'm local. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was just, I was just messing around. And then I just, every time he said anything, I just was like writing it down. Like I just was so curious about it. And and so my poor husband, I came home and was like, "Did you know that blah blah blah?" You know. And I would just be so interested in this. And in the meantime, I've got three young kids under the age of four, and I'm just like in my downtime, I'm. I'm Googling and researching. And finally, that's when I just said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not in a huge hurry to kind of go back into the tech world. But in the meantime, I think it'd be really fun to get this product on the shelf at Whole Foods. And then I found out I was pregnant with my fourth. And so I thought that there was no better time and no timeline uh, that you know that made sense to me, other than to, to figure out when I was actually having my fourth, and I thought, you know, then I'll get it on the shelf before then, which was like a little over six months. So that's how Hint started, and yeah, that that's the the beginnings of it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I love like the the greater mission behind it too. It's not just like let's start a company, uh, but then obviously you've grown this business in a massive way, like. And just to, like give some context, like where's the business at, at now in terms of like metrics or somehow size, if you can kind of share like where you got it to today so far? Yeah. So, you know, as I was mentioning before we got on the call, I mean, this this has been a crazy year. I mean, for us, we're an essential product and it's been, you know, every for the last 15 years, we've continued to grow and we've had different spikes along the way. We've never had a down year at all, but I think that the the key thing that I realized shortly after launching Hint was that we weren't just launching a product and a company, but also an entirely new category. And so if you don't really understand what that means, like the impact of it, it, it essentially in our category, it meant that it, it was this whole new category called unsweetened flavored water. So on the upside, there's no one else who's doing what we were doing. There were carbonated versions of our product. Everything had sodium in it. And so, but in the still water category, no one was doing what we were doing. Everything had either sugar in it or diet sweeteners in it, even if it was called water, like a vitamin water. So the difficult thing about launching a new category, and this applies to not just beverage or food companies, but also any category that's out there is that, the the consumer doesn't understand it. They don't understand why you need it. And they, and oftentimes the buyer, like, 
unless you're going direct. I mean, the buyer who's making decisions about whether or not your product will end up on the shelf is it also needs to be educated about it too. So that was our world. And I got it really clearly the first couple of months. So while I was able to get it into Whole Foods, that's when I realized that we went to Safeway and Safeway had a planogram and the planogram said water and tea and diet soda and soda and enhanced water. But all the enhanced waters had sweetener in it. And so I said, well, this is perfect because we aren't any of those things. We are a new category called unsweetened flavored water. And the buyer said, there's no category for that. So we can't place you on the shelf. Can you imagine? I mean, and I was like, well, like white it out, like just fix the category, just put it up there. Right. And they're like, I, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. And of course, maybe you've heard of the fact that a lot of these large retail stores actually have this thing called category captains, which are run by Coke or Pepsi. And mm. so why would they create an unsweetened flavored category? Right. Yeah. Why would they do, why would they do that? And so, so did, you did you cave to a category or did you define the no, other? No, no. And so instead, I just said, well, I've got these consumers. I launch in Whole Foods and we have an 800 number on our bottle and an email. And so from day one, from being in Whole Foods, we had consumers who were reaching out to us and saying, oh my gosh, where have you been? Like, you're helping me drink water. You're helping me control my type 2 diabetes. You're helping me get rid of my type 2 diabetes. You're helping me get through chemo treatment treatments because I need to drink more water and it's masking the metallic taste that I'm getting in my mouth. Like everybody's saying helping, helping, helping. If you've got a brand where consumers are saying you're helping me, I mean, that's amazing, right? But also, I mean, you're a founder who's hearing that something that you're doing every single day is helping. I had worked in amazing, amazing companies, worked for amazing founders, never really thought that I was ultimately going to be I'm an accidental entrepreneur that I always say, but all of a sudden I'm like, I didn't even try to do this. I didn't try to help you control this or help drink, you know, you drink more water, but I totally get where you're coming from. And that's when I realized that we had hurdles and we had blocks that were a little beyond our control. And so that's when we would just try and get into lots of different places. We knew that like the big corporate, you know, the big Safeways or Kroger's or whatever, they would eventually get it. But there was, uh, but we had to wait. And I always, you know, share with, with people who are starting new categories and they totally understand this, that oftentimes there, there are things that are kind of beyond your control and you have to figure out how to get into, you know, different, different people and get noticed in other ways. And, and again, I was still trying to figure this out. I was, uh, I knew that it was going to take longer and I couldn't really build a big brand just hanging out in Whole Foods or other specialty stores, although we were doing great in those. So one day, one day I was actually, I had been interviewing with Google and some other tech firms over the years. And again, I was, I was not really seriously considering 
taking one of those roles, but I felt like there was this one guy, Omid Kordasani, who was a friend and he had actually uh, worked really closely with my husband at Netscape and he wanted me to do something at Google. And I kept saying, you know, I'm not really interested. And I felt like I was dodging, but I dodging the conversation, but I sort of felt rude that I was having, you know, not being straight up with him on sort of what I was doing and what I was thinking about. And he hadn't heard that we had actually already started Hint. He just figured I was taking a few years off from what I was doing from AOL. And that's when I remember going down to Palo Alto and having lunch with him and explaining, you know, what my world was all about. Like I was like looking at a few different things, but I was also, I had kickstarted this little initiative. And he said, so like, what, what did you kickstart? Fully assuming that it was in tech. And I said, oh, I, I actually, and I dragged a bottle out of my purse and I said, it's, it's this company hint. And he said, wait, you're, you're doing like a water company. And I said, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Right. And he, and he said, I can't believe you like started a beverage company. Do you have any experience? Like before you went to AOL, did you work at Coke or Nope, I didn't. He's like, how did you know how to do it? And I was like, I didn't. And that was what was so great about it. And, you know, talking about something that I talked about before that I felt like when I was leaving AOL that I was kind of at this position where I had 200 people and I was sort of telling them, you know, okay, go do this here. I'll sign off on this or whatever, but I wasn't learning. And I think that that was the beauty of this new world where I'm like starting this company. I'm trying to learn distribution. I'm, I, I'm have little wins, like getting into Whole Foods, but then I get rejected from Safeway. And it's just this world that I just didn't even know existed, right? Like how do we get the shelf life correct? All of these things. And so I was saying to him, he was like, well, you know, is it kind of risky for you to do that and not like stay on your tech path? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm not really that worried about it. I mean, if people don't want to hire me after I'm, you know, really happy and I'm exploring this whole new world that I'm finding, I'm doing it because I saw that I wasn't, you know, my story around health and that I saw that I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. And he's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. At Google, we just hired a chef and he's, uh, and he's cooking for all the people uh, inside of inside of the Google offices because we're just finding that it takes too long for people to go out for lunch and a lot of the food isn't that healthy. And he was like, but I don't think they have any drinks. And he was like, you should reach out to this guy and just tell him I sent you. And he and he was like, that's awesome. Like he's thinking I'm a little crazy, right? But he was like, that's awesome that you're going and doing what what you want to do, whatever. He's still thinking I'm crazy. And so I reached out to this guy, Charlie, and I was like, hey, Omid told me to reach out to you. And he said, yeah, he told me drop off a few cases and we'll see what happens. So the next day he called me and he said, can we have 10 cases the next day? We need 30 cases. Google became like our biggest customer almost overnight. And we were the only drink there. And so all of these people would be drinking our product at Google and they're and they'd write to us they say where do we get the stuff and and then we'd say oh you can get it at Whole Foods oh well I shop at Safeway and we're like oh yeah we're not in Safeway yet and then they'd go and they'd go to Safeway and they'd say you don't have this product can't and so then we started getting like pull 
from these retailers by being inside of Google. Purely by accident, though. It was not a strategy at all. Like people said, you're like a tech executive, so you got all your friends in the tech firms. I'm like, no, not really. Like, they, yes, they, they he was trying to hire me, but it was like an afterthought. He was just being nice to me. I mean, right. it was just not anything like that. So again, I mean, that was really, that was such, when I look back on that moment, is that was such a, a time when the dots all start to connect, right? That was something that we really needed for that, for the brand, but it wasn't intentional. It was, it was just, I was just living and doing what I was doing, but it ultimately really, that was the push that I think kind of, and everybody has those moments when you're like, ding, right? Right. But that was something. Yeah. And then after, you know, we were in Google for a couple of years, they decided to add more. I mean, they were growing like crazy. They decided to add more beverages that Sheryl Sandberg left and went to Facebook. And she's calling me saying, hey, can we have that water and Facebook? And then we became the largest beverage in Silicon Valley to all the tech firms. Because it was like, I mean, everybody, it's just like, boom, you know, and people said, and a lot of stories, again, have said, oh, it's because she's a tech executive. Kind of. I mean, but not really. Like it's you have happen. To, yeah. Yeah. And people wanted, I mean, people like it initially started just by me interviewing for a job and and kind of and the the idea, I mean, I think there's one important thing that I talk about actually in my book a, a lot is like if you can actually articulate that you're really happy, right? And you're and you're passionate about what you're doing and here's why you're doing something, right? That's a really powerful message. I I think for me, it wasn't about the money of Google. It wasn't, it was just, I had this idea and I had this desire to just really satisfy my curiosity. And again, I saw this huge opportunity that if I could actually get people to enjoy water, like that problem that I had in my life, just by putting some fruit in it, that you know, we could solve major, major health issues and, right. and anywhere, anywhere. And now like you guys it. are one of the, what's the, what's the tagline? One of the largest, sorry, I don't, I don't want to butcher it. The largest private non-alcoholic beverage companies in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke pops, Coke, Pepsi or Dr. Pepper Snapple. So, yeah, which is insane. Uh, Cause like everybody gets bought, like how, like, first of all, I know these people are probably busting down the door of hint being like, let us buy you. Like, are they? Or I don't know if you're allowed to say. Uh, you, know, you know, we've really been focusing on growing this company the right way. Again, for us, it was it was really about, you know, one of one of the things. You don't want to partner with the people you're trying to kill also. Well, it, well not that you're trying to kill them, but. No, here's, here's the thing. And we've always been open to partnering, but we've also believed that the right partnerships and and I think about this not just from a buying or distribution or or manufacturing right that it just has to there has to be mutual benefit right in some way and and I think for us we had seen too many stories where uh, companies had had invested acquired whatever and it just like the product never made it on the trucks, right? That, that it was more of taking a chess piece off. And so for us, 
the, you know, some of the earlier conversations that we had just didn't really make that much sense to us. And, and again, we really wanted to build a brand that actually solved a problem. And we felt like we were getting a lot of traction and we had this relationship with our consumers that we didn't want to leave them behind. And which is kind of what we saw in, in the beverage space. And so anyway, we continued to build and build and build. And then lots of things happened. I mean, 2008, 2009. I mean, again, our brand was founded in 2005. I mean, we've weathered so many storms along the way and we just kept going and just, and I think it's, it's one that, that entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs should really uh, recognize that you're always going to have stormy times, right? You think you're having the best times and everything's great and and there will be a storm. And I think that the most important thing is how you ultimately weather those things and how prepared you are. And people have always said to me, like, don't look back. And I've always been the one saying, actually, you can look back. Like you can look back, don't dwell on it, but you can look back and learn lots of things at right. along the way that really help you. And even as the pandemic was approaching this year, I mean, there were a lot of things that we learned in 2008, 2009 that, yeah. you know. Let's take a quick break and get a word from our sponsor. Listen, it's getting more expensive to drive profitable traffic to your website every month every year. You need to do everything you can to maximize conversions. That's why I love and use today's sponsor, Just Do Know. They're the best tool in the game for conversion rate optimization. Two things I really love about them right now. I mean, they're first of all, they're a really great company, really great team, uh, you know, one of the best to work with. Uh, but two features I love of Just You Know. Number one, they have these AI-powered upsells that you can take and put anywhere in your store that has HTML. So you can put them in the checkout, you can put them in your cart, you can put them on the product page. This is their Just Uno Plus product. And what's great about that, it has this AI in it that tracks buyer behavior and puts recommendations that people are actually gonna buy. So you get more conversions and you get higher average order value and it's just gonna help your business scale a lot easier and it's really easy to set up because you also get a strategist with it. And the Just Uno Plus strategist, they know exactly what's working and how the best brands are leveraging Just Uno and they can take that insight and apply it to your brand with zero learning curve um, and help you drive more conversions using their platform on your website. The second thing I really love about Just Uno is their advanced list growth tools uh, and specifically how you can segment based on traffic and a ton of other different metrics so you can really maximize list growth as well as conversions using on-site pop-ups and different promotions that they have. Um, and all of this works extremely well. Uh, Just Uno customers see an average of 135% lift in revenue during their first year using the platform. And what's awesome about it is it also links to Klaviyo, Postscript, and all of the other software that you use. So you can close the loop, link everything together. Everything's personalized. Everything's automated. It's all nice and flows and connected um, and it drives great results. So if you want to learn more about Just Uno Plus and snag a sweet discount because you're a listener of this podcast, all you got to do is go to justuno.com slash wavebreak. Link is down in the show notes below. It's justuno.com slash wavebreak. Sign up for a free trial and get 20% off your first year by using code wavebreak. Like I said, it's down in the show notes below. Go check them out. Let's get back into this episode. Walk like, me through that. Like, what was it like 2020? Like, because your business has been around, like a lot of the brands I interviewed on this podcast are like, you know, five years old, maybe 10 years old. Um, but like you started in 05. Walk me through 2020 is happening. It's March. What are you thinking? How are you comparing it to before? Obviously, now you guys are up like triple, I think you said. Um, yeah. So, well, I think, 
that the key thing, we walked into 2020 knowing that it was going to be a huge year for us. Going back to sort of the category and and recognizing that that building out a category is just, it's sort of like if you think about building a company is, is climbing a mountain, building a category is Everest, right? I mean, it's a whole different, you have so much work to do to like lay the groundwork. If you look at coconut water as a whole, think of how many people and players in that space contributing to making that a category. No one is in the still water market of significance. I mean, we've had private label products. They're not as good. I mean, just we are far and away. We not only started this category, but far and away. And that's good and bad. Like, as I've always said to entrepreneurs, competition is is not awful, right? They can actually help you grow a category. And again, I I really believe this for any category. It's not just for food and beverage. But anyway, the consumer had finally caught up to what I was talking about 15 years ago, that water shouldn't have to be sweet tasting and shouldn't have sweeteners in it. It just should have fruit in it. And that's it. And so we finally were going into Walmart and Aldi. We had already been continuing to grow in Target over the years. We're, as I mentioned before, we had our direct-to-consumer business, which started a little over seven years ago. And, um, you know, lots, 2020 was going to be a huge year because we don't use any preservatives in our product. We had been really focusing on the operations and sort of the supply chain side of our company and making sure that we, we didn't, we got to a point where we knew by 2019 that if, for example, anyone was in the room when we were filling the bottles, that if they had a cold, right, you don't use like any preservatives in your product, there's a chance that bacteria gets in there, right? And, and then all of a sudden, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, does it grow something just from having, probably not, because it's pretty um, muted down by the time you put all this water into it. But we had been obsessing over the operation side and automation. And so by the end of 2019, there's no people in the room when we're actually filling the product, which is not the case for most, you know, bottling companies that are out there. So we roll into 2020. Um, we have our main offices in San Francisco. We also have an office in New York and people all over the US that are primarily in sales and sort of events and marketing. Mid-March, um, it, we see it hitting New York, um, offices closing in New York City. And by the next week, we were looking at, okay, what's happening in San Francisco as well. And Basically, the the our product is actually regulated. I don't know how familiar you are with this, but bottled water is regulated at the state level. If you're a product like ours that has fruit in it, um, we're regulated by the FDA. All of the plants that we use are regulated by the FDA. So when the FDA was like sniffing out, trying to figure out where this COVID thing is coming from in mid-March, they were looking in all the plants, not just chicken plants, but also in plants like ours. So when they saw the detail that we had gone to, to actually have clean products and not actually have any people in the room, they walked in, 
and then they left. And so we just flipped the switch on saying like, we're an essential product. We saw the shelves getting, you know, basically decimated by the consumer who was hoarding. Right. And, and we maybe a little bit by the tech sort of thing, we knew that there was a problem with a lot of the EDI that was, um, so typically like for a grocery store, for example, most of the bigger chain grocery stores are getting their messages off of the cash register to order for the shelves. It wasn't happening fast enough because they had never seen the consumer buy so much, right? At one time. So they weren't getting stocked fast enough. So we started seeing what was going on. We knew that if we just upped our supply, that we would be able to service a lot of these accounts. And I'll never forget on uh, March 16th, we picked up the phone, shot emails to all of our buyers saying, hey, listen, if you can't get our products out of the distributor, then we'll send in truckloads and just stock your shelves for you. We'll figure out the payment stuff later. And we gained so much space in the middle of this craziness just by servicing the customer and just knowing that there was a problem, a software problem going on that was not going to get solved. We didn't sit there and start, like we knew other companies that were basically calling the, the buyers saying, hey, why isn't my product getting stocked on the shelf? Instead, we were like, no one wants to hear there's a problem. Instead, we walk in with, we'll fix the problem. So that was like one thing where we gained a ton of space. And then the other thing, as I mentioned before, we have this direct-to-consumer business that's been going for seven years. We shot out an email to all of our consumers saying, hey, listen, if you see anything going on out there where you're not seeing our product on the shelf, just know that you can just go into drinkhint.com and order Hint. We had like 80% of our list, which is well over a million people by just on a, that one email, just oh saying, goodness. right? Like people were panicking and saying, and we were saying, if you are like, by the way, if you see that your target store is out of stock, let us know which one that is and we'll get there. But if you just want the product, then just call and, you know, I mean, it was insane what How was going on. The, the operations to fulfill? Like, did you have it built out already and you were like ready to go? Or like, were you guys you were, like- Well, we were already like thinking that this was just going to be a crazy year. Oh, between for 2020. So you were ready to go. For, so you built in advance for that. Yeah, for these. But then also because they were having lags in some of these stores- that we were just, I mean, we were sitting there just looking at inventory every single day and just saying, I mean, literally 24 hours a day. And the other piece of this is that we didn't have any issues with, because there's nobody in the room. We, I mean, it was very right. automated. The, you didn't the have to operation. shut down or anything. No. And so we were watching this whole thing going on, just going, just keep going. And like we had minimal um, issues on the manufacturing and supply chain. But then the other piece of this, which was fascinating, is all of those businesses are continuing to grow. People are like, yeah, just you know, signing up for a subscription. They can get it weekly from us, monthly. We're like, we have plenty in the warehouse. Everything's great. Then we get a call mid-April from Costco. And they're like, hey, do you guys 
do everything in the U.S. We feel like we've talked to you about this. And I, I said, yeah, we do. And they said, okay, well, we've got a few manufacturers that we deal with that all cans are coming from Asia. And because the Asian factories had shut down, they were they were like, if you you guys do everything in the U.S. And we're like, we do. Like we have, you know, multiple plants all over the country and we do everything as local as possible. And they're like, can we go national with you guys in the beginning of June? And so I was like, whoa. Okay. So went back to Costco. Bing, like turned it on. (laughs) And so it was insane. I mean, insane. And so it's just like, which business is growing more? I mean, it was just, it was all over the place. And, and again, I, I think like the thing that we just kept hearing was just like, you guys really know how to like, so brilliant that you guys were doing everything in the U S so brilliant that you guys were, you know, automating. We had no, I I mean, we just did it because it seemed smart. Like for us, is that like the tech side of you? You're like, let's just automate everything or. Well, kind of, but I, I, I mean, and really I give it to my operations team more than, I mean, my husband, who's our chief operating officer, he runs that. And I think for him, that was, that was kind of this dream to be able to have it very automated. But, but I think that the other piece of this is that for us, we, we hear about lots of companies who are talking about being sustainable and, you know, and how they're doing everything, you know, very sustainable. And then they're, they're actually creating their cans in Asia and they're shipping them and nobody counts that part of it, right. That happens. And again, like I haven't added it all up, but I'm like, huh, that's like, right. It just, none of it just, just a quick napkin, um, study on it, which it just didn't make that much sense to us. And so for us, we just said, wouldn't it make more sense if we figured out how do we use trucks that, how do we get the backhauls on trucks? Like instead of actually, you know, hiring a truck to go in and do a delivery, how do we, you know, how do we figure out like unique ways where we might be able to save money, but also where it ultimately nets out, you know, to much more. And, and so, I think in the end, I mean, that, that was, that was 2020 where all of these things that we had sort of talked about and sort of reasons for doing things truly paid off. And it was, but it was, I can't say that any of, any of this journey has been, you know, truly intentional and part of, you know, what you and I had talked about, I launched this book, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. It's, it's a lot of what I talk about in the book. It's, you know, great for entrepreneurs, but it's also great for people just to know that I think too often we hear about entrepreneurs who are the unicorns and then we hear about the failures. And I've always felt like it's the middle part, right? It's the it's the stuff like, how did you guys get into Costco? And it, how did you know to automate? And all, and, and yeah, that's all what I, I love can... too. Like the sleepless nights in the middle, like it's great. Yeah. Like, oh, we started with nothing. And then like, now we've made it, but like, it's literally in between so many ups and downs. Like, yeah. And, and, and even, about. even there's a story. I, I remember people used to always say to me, you know, don't go into a retailer unless you are really ready. And I would be like, okay, I got it. Like I'm, I gotta be really ready. And, yeah. and so then we were really ready to go into Starbucks a few years ago. And, you know, I, I asked all the right questions. I found out that 
you know, what success was. And we were going into 11,000 Starbucks and across the country and Starbucks is on not every corner, but in a lot of locations, we're in there with our Blackberry hint. It's all great. And uh, a year and a half into the relationship, we're doing triple what we were supposed to be doing. So I, wow. I like wake up every morning, I'm looking at my sheet and I'm just so happy. You know, everything's going great. We get a call from the buyer, new buyer. You know, they're like, hey, I just really want to meet you. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Everything's great. And, uh, and she says, uh, I got some bad news for you. We're actually going to discontinue your item. And I'm like, what? Like discontinue? We're, we're doing triple. Like I followed all the rules. I knew everything, right? Everything was yeah. like, great. And she said, I'm sorry. It's a directive from Howard Schultz's office and they're going to put food in the case. And, you know, it's nothing against you. It's like higher margin business, higher ring. It all made sense, right? Like it was like, I got it, but it didn't matter because my life sucked, right? At that point, I was sitting here going, you can't do this. I mean, I have six months of inventory. Like, when are you guys discontinuing us? Next week. I'm like, what? Like next week? I, I have investors. How uh, how does this work? I mean, you, how, you can't do this. And she's like, I'm sorry. Like, that's what we're doing. And I was like, oh my God. So I hang up the phone thinking to myself, I do not know how I'm going to survive, right? Like that, that was a major major blow. And I did everything right. Right. There was nothing I could have done differently. I couldn't charge more than $2 per bottle for my product either. Right. Like it was just, a, it was a business decision that he was making, but it was not in my favor. And it was, it, I had, you know, two and a half million dollars worth of inventory sitting in there. And by the way, I had focused so much on making sure that this business was right. It was 40% of my overall business. And I thought, and I was like, this is like, this is really, really bad. So two and a half weeks, I'm sitting there trying to justify it. I'm talking to our investors about it, but trying to justify it to myself saying I made some bad decisions, like 40% of anyone's business sitting in the hands of one person or one company. Stupid, right? Like I was just like, how, how did I do this? And why did I do this? But on the other hand, they paid me for a year and a half. They paid me for my product on time. Everything was great. They also exposed me to all of these different places that I wouldn't have been able to get into. I still was not in lots of supermarkets yet, across the country, all the stuff. Then I got an email from an Amazon buyer. And the Amazon buyer said, hey, I love your product. I buy it all the time at Starbucks. And I'm thinking, do I actually like when I get on the phone with this guy, do I actually tell him that we just got kicked out of Starbucks or do I just say, oh, hey, thanks a lot. So I say, oh, hey, thanks a lot. And he says, you know, there's a few products that we really think are unique and different. And I in particular love your product because I buy it at Starbucks every single day and I, with my coffee and I love it. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And he said, um, how, like, what's the lead time on getting this product? And I said, well, actually I have a lot in the warehouse right now. And so I'd be happy to sell it to you if you like. And he's, and he said, yeah. And I said, I'll like release the truck today and we'll get some up to Amazon. So he's like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. I thought it was going to take at least a month. And I said, no, no, like today, it's like, perfect. We're going to get it to you. So we became the number one 
one of the number one items on Amazon, like literally overnight. It was crazy. And one of the, and are still one of the top beverages on Amazon. And so I tell you the story because it, it, it's a story of the dots eventually connect. So right. that buyer one closes, a better one opens. A hundred percent. And sometimes what I always say to people, and I share that story often with entrepreneurs, is that, you know, when you're in your darkest moments, you sometimes think that this is it, right? Instead, what you have to figure out is how do I keep going? Right. And you have to really be open. I mean, I could have sat there in some mode where I wasn't answering emails. Right. I wasn't going to, you know, respond to the Amazon buyer because I had to go figure this thing out with, with Starbucks. Instead, I was answering the email and just trying to keep going. And that ended up opening up this next chapter, which ended up to be this amazing thing where they launched Amazon Prime and, you know, the subscription business. And so we learned pretty quickly that a lot of the people that were coming into Amazon Prime were actually the tech executives who were no longer going to grocery stores. And they wanted a few items sent to their home that they knew they needed in order to drink more water, et cetera. And so about a year into that business, you know, we knew enough about that business. I knew enough from my previous life working at AOL that we weren't going to get um, we weren't going to get the data and information that we really wanted, including the email addresses to communicate directly. And so we decided to launch a separate business, which was drinkhint.com. And we already had the website up, but we weren't really selling off of it. It was really like who we were. It was very informational. And so that's when seven years ago, we just put the gas on and decided to, our purpose in launching a site was to have everything that we do on the site um, and all, you know, over 20 flavors. And if we ever, um, we could also test flavors and really get a gauge from the consumer, whether or not they were interested. And so that's what we did. And as you mentioned, I mean, that business combined with Amazon, Amazon is less than 10%, is um, 55% of our overall business. And during another full circle, coming back to the pandemic, it's, you know, that was um, a massive opportunity when we were faced with the, this whole, all offices across the U.S. shut. So I talked about everything was, you know, this year has been a crazy growth year. We also lost 15% of our business this year because offices closed across the U.S. And so we're huge in offices and colleges and universities. And so that's all been in flux. We basically knew that at least for six months at that time in March that that was going to happen. And so we focused on um, figuring out how we were going to be able to make up for it. When you have the ability to have that direct relationship with the consumer, I, that is what our business, what our business, our direct to consumer business did for us. We were able to go out to this consumer when you know we had channels that were controlled by a pandemic or by retailers, you know, trying to do their best. We ultimately could could sleep at night because we felt like we've got this other channel that we can continue getting revenue in. We don't, we don't know how big it can be. We don't know how the consumer is going to adjust, but 
what we realized is that we were able to, you know, really, really rely on that versus some of these other things that were going on out there. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, you know, within that channel too, there's other channels that you really own, like email, where it's like, I mean, you saw the results of that right off the bat, where it's like, you send that email to those million people and over 80% are buying. I mean, that yeah, is that is crazy, insane. And like so many other brands in the space, like we we're talking about before this is like, uh, nobody even uh, has a direct consumer website. And I could, we could talk about the direct consumer side for hours, but I know we're coming up here on time. Like before we sign off, like, is there anybody who, like, if somebody's in one of those moments where they just lost their Starbucks, like what, what, like, what would you say to yourself back then? Like, if you, you just lost Starbucks, you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm defeated. Like I've been working so hard. I thought I was winning. I was doing great. Like, why, why should I keep going? What would you say to yourself back then? A couple of things. I think first of all, if you don't right now, having experienced the pandemic, if you don't have a, a direct relationship with your consumer, figure out how to have it. Because I, I think that at the end of the day, something that I've always felt about and really the reason why we're in multiple channels is that the consumer controls where and how they purchase this product. And so that is the story today and going forward. If you are only available in Whole Foods and um, you're not available in other locations than in you know Walmart and some of these other places, then that's ultimately not being fair to the consumer. And the consumer will find a different product to buy from. So I think it's figuring out where your consumer is, figuring out you know, ultimately how they're going to be purchasing your pro- your product is really the biggest lesson. And then I think that the story about Starbucks is one that I bring up. It kind of goes hand in hand with the, with the direct to consumer. It's, it's, if you've got somebody else who is responsible for um, your destiny and your success, that they can decide that they're going to put all their strength into into a food product versus your product or think of it in whatever way you want in your industry, I think it's crazy, right? Like why not in today's day and age actually control that a little bit more? And certainly, you know, if you've got 40% of your business as I did in, in the control of someone else, like that's just foolish. Like don't make that mistake again. And, and then also I, I would just say for, 2020, it's just instead of actually focusing on the the whole concept of this horrible stuff has happened and this has been instead look at this year and try and figure out how how could you do better and what could you have done differently? Could you have focused on automating your plant? Could you have focused on diversifying? Could you have focused on um, having a direct-to-consumer business? Okay, now go do those things right? Stop. Stop having a pity party for yourself, right? Just continue trying to figure out how do you ultimately move forward? Do you not have enough money in the bank? Like, should you also have enough money in the bank and during times like this for if it comes again, we're, we're all faced with this too. What were the issues? Own the issues and figure out a way to change those going forward. And I think that that's the best thing that you can do. And, and, don't use this time. Every challenging time is a time to ultimately learn from and figure out, 
again, I think it's really, it, it it's being a lifelong learner. It's also, you know, owning sort of where you've had challenges and failures. And it's, I, I've heard a lot of people, I launched my book October 20th and, and, you know, it's fascinating how many people are reaching out to me saying, gosh, that this book has really helped me to move forward. But I've also had leaders reach out to me saying, what you're talking about right now is not really what we feel we're allowed to talk about. Like our own challenges that we've had along the way that, you know, we've, we've shown up and said, everything's great. You know, we're like terrific. We raised all this money. We've done all this stuff. And, you know, when you hear about these challenges that these the people have had along the way, I think it's, again, it's, it's talking about owning, it's talking about being real. And I think that there's nothing that the consumer wants more in 2021 than just to sort of cut through all, all of the prettiness. And they want to hear from real people and real brands. And they want to know like the challenges that they've had, because I think 2020 has been challenging for all in different ways. And I think it's just, it's it's really being an authentic brand that that people ultimately want to work with or buy from or however you you know want to look at it. Yeah, for sure. No, I I really appreciate you coming on and sharing like not just the wins but also those moments. Like I think that Starbucks story is awesome because every business has it, but it's very rarely talked about on a podcast. Um, yeah. And I know your book goes into all of this in a lot more detail. So where can we go to learn more about you and uh, pick up a copy of the book? Yeah, so it's just caragolden.com, but also the book is on Amazon and it just hit Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. Um nice, so very, Yeah, super exciting and it's um yeah, and I like I said, I mean my main reason like I'm an accidental entrepreneur and I'm an accidental author. I've met tons of people who had it on their bucket list to write a book. I'm like, nope, not me. I was a journalism <laughs> major, but I said for me it was just I just had stories that I think really helped people to grow and know that they weren't alone. And, and I thought, you know, this came out of a journal and I thought if I can help people just by sharing some of these stories to just keep going and keep moving and, you know, and know that failure is all part of everyone's life and you just, you're going to have little ones and hopefully not too big of ones. And, and you just keep going along the way and figuring out how you can ultimately do better. And that's the most important thing. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll link all that up down in the show notes below. Uh, this episode, we'll link to the book, we'll link to your website, we'll link to Hint Water if you guys need uh, a healthy beverage uh, to drink throughout the day. I know there's people people drinking their uh, Diet Cokes listening to this. It's time to cut it out. Get yourself Throw some it Hint away. Water. Hintwater.com. Exactly. Kara, thanks Thank so much for coming so on the show. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, everybody. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list, or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. 
At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge and it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible. And we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 